You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, hey, friends. Uh, welcome. And uh, so glad that we get this time together. Really have enjoyed the first part of our morning together and just love being a, a church family and uh, getting to experience that even just right now, just thanking Katie and hearing from so many different people. And it's just, it's so good. If you're visiting with us and yet I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is uh, Jake and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown. And so uh, glad that you are joining us. We want you to know that um, we, our desire for our Sunday morning gatherings is that we would uh, be able to be reminded or informed about who God is and what he has uh, done for us, that we would be moved to worship him and uh, love others uh, with him in light of how he's loved us. And so I certainly hope that that's going to be our experience together uh, this morning as we begin uh, this uh, sermon series, uh, the Psalms of Summer. And so uh, this sermon series is kind of becoming a tradition for us. This is going to be the third summer over the last four that we have done it. And uh, the reason why is because, one, there's 150 psalms, so there's a lot to choose from. But, two, it's because, as uh, Justin and Christopher, our associate pastor, uh, likes to say, there is a psalm for every season. And even uh, that includes even this crazy, uh, heavy season that we're in. And I think uh, one of the defining marks of this season is becoming a, a cry for equality and social reform. It's uh, for broken systems to be addressed and for lasting changes to take place because we all want uh, justice. And this cry of our heart, uh, this deep desire for justice is great. Like I think it really honors God because it mirrors God's heart. And so this morning, I want us to look at uh, Psalm 146 to help us more fully consider the justice of God so that we can know really like, what does that mean? And to find why it's such good news. And so I'm going to read this entire Psalm for us up front, and then we're going to spend some time reflecting on it. So Psalm 146, uh, verse one begins this way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When the spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. Now, perhaps you picked up on it, but this psalm uh, praises God for being a God of justice. And so 
when the psalmist says at the beginning, do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save, the context of this psalm is that it's saying you cannot save you from injustice. And the reason why princes, leadership, human beings cannot save us from injustice, according to this psalm, is that because they are you know, here today, but gone tomorrow. And so as they pass on, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground, as it says, their plans go along with them. That we need, we need a source of justice that is much more lasting. And so the psalmist says, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, which is a way of saying uh, the God of old or the God of our ancestors or the eternal God. It says, so blessed are those whose hope is in God, whose hope for what? Whose hope for justice is in their Lord, their God. Why? Because he is the eternal source of justice. And that tr truth, friends, that truth should fill us with hope and it should move us to praise and worship God. That we would say along with the psalmist, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. Yet, <laughs> I'm afraid. Like if we're honest, this aspect of God's character, it doesn't often elicit our praise or bring us you know, great hope. So this morning I'm praying that changes as we study this psalm and consider the God of justice. All right, so to help us do that, what we're going to do is we're just begin asking this question, what is justice? You know, for us to praise God for his justice, we've got to understand what does that even mean? So let's begin by just defining the Hebrew word. Uh, that's used, that's translated in English as justice. It's the Hebrew word mish, mishpat. And it shows up over 200 times in the Old Testament because justice is a major theme of God's word. And it also shows up in this psalm. However, you're not going to see it here because in this English translation, it is uh, translated, the Hebrew word mishpat is translated uh, to uphold the cause. And that's how it sometimes is translated. It's, it's not a bad translation, but it, you just need to know that when it says upholds, he upholds the cause of verse 7, it's actually the, the word mishpat. Saying it could also be translated, he executes justice for the oppressed. And so, like, what does that mean? What is justice? Well, the Hebrew word mishpat you know, just means, to state it succinctly, it means to giving people what they're due giving people what they're due. And biblically speaking, giving people what they're due involves uh, two aspects, okay? It involves, uh, first, when people are doing uh, something wrong, you stop them and you, uh, you know, punish them according to what they've done. For if you let people go about just causing harm and never, they're never punished, then you certainly aren't doing justice, right? So, for example, in Proverbs 21, verse 15, it says this, When justice, there's the word mishpat, is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. So why does justice bring terror to evildoers? Because justice means they will get what they're due for the wrongs that they have done. But that's just one aspect of justice in Scripture. There's another aspect, and that aspect means to give the oppressed and the vulnerable, the loving care that they are due as fellow image bearers of God. 
And so, for example, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, learn to do right, seek justice. Again, there's Mishpat. And think, okay, how do I seek justice? Well, he goes on, it says, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. You see, um, throughout the Old Testament, when Oftentimes, when you see the word justice, you also see it connected to these four groups of people, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. For these groups of people are often uh, the socially weak and vulnerable, and therefore, they are easily mistreated and harmed. And so the word justice is connected with, to this group of people because one part of doing justice is involves making sure that the oppressed and vulnerable are given the love and care that they're due as image bearers of God. So, okay, kind of wrap your mind around this. According to God, doing justice means you give the wrongdoer what they're due and you give the oppressed and vulnerable what they're due. And before I move on, I want to press down on that a little bit more, okay? Because you think, okay, well, what is exactly does it look like to give the oppressed and the vulnerable what they're due? Well, biblically speaking, it involves at least three things. More, I could go further detail, but to keep it high level, it involves at least three things. The first thing is this. It involves not harming them, right? And you think, okay, that should be able to you know, uh, go without saying, except that we do harm the vulnerable and the marginalized. And we harm them physically, and we harm them by oppressive laws as well. And when scripture talks about not harming the vulnerable, it involves not harming them. It includes not harming them physically and not harming them by the laws that we pass. For example, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 and 2 says this, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. See, friends, this is God saying harming the vulnerable is absolutely unjust and includes the laws that you pass. Woe to you if you're a part of that. So that's one part. How do you love the vulnerable and the oppressed? Well, don't harm them. But the other, other two parts would be this. Don't ignore them and positively go out of your way to help them, Okay. And this is where things get a little convicting for me. I don't, I don't know about you, but you see, when you ignore the needs of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor, or just the, the marginalized, the impressed, when you don't take care of them, when you don't notice them, friends, in scripture, that's not called a lack of charity. That's called a lack of justice. For example, um, Job chapter 31, it says this. It's kind of a long passage. Follow along with me here. Job is speaking. He says, if I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, if I denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, if I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece for my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from my shoulder 
and let it be broken off at the joint. And then he makes this strong statement. These would be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. <laughs> That's strong, isn't it? These would be sins to be judged. So he doesn't say that this would be an issue of a lack of charity or even just a lack of kindness. He says, if he failed to do any of those things, it would be an issue of justice. For to ignore and to refuse to help would be a sin against God on high. So friends, oh, kind of again, summarize all this. One aspect of doing justice involves justly punishing the people who have done wrong. But the other aspect of justice involves lovingly caring for the weak and the vulnerable, but by not harming them, not ignoring them, and actively helping them. And friends, all of this is why the truth that God is the God of justice should move us to praise him. For it's because God is just that we can know that on one hand, when all that who do wrong will justly receive uh, what they are due in perfect measure, that no one gets away with it. And it's because God is just that we can know he draws near and he cares for the weak and the vulnerable. See, what we have here in Psalm 146 is a psalm praising God for who he is. And who are we told that he is? Well, you look at verse 6. It says, he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. See, that is a declaration of God's incredible power. But then that is followed up with what he does with his power. In verse 7, he says, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. See, first, here, here's why the psalmist and why I personally find this so incredibly praise-inducing. It's because this is saying that the all-powerful God loves to use his power on behalf of the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. That's what God is like. In fact, did you know that God is often described in this way? For example, um, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 and 18, it says this. I don't have a slide for it. I'm just going to read this. But listen, this is so great. It says, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. There it is, the power of God. And then what's that followed with? Who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Over and over again, God is introduced in scripture this way. And that is very significant because how you are introduced says a lot about you, doesn't it? Like on Tuesday, Corey Tabor will be speaking to us about racial, racial reconciliation. And I'm really excited about that night. Lots of y'all have already RSVP'd. I hope all of you will join us for that. 
That night will probably begin with Justin introducing his friend Corey and saying a couple opening remarks about him. And Justin's not going to be able to say everything there is to say about Corey. And so he's just going to center in to really kind of the key of what things that Corey is about. That's what you do when you introduce someone. Well, friends, when God is introduced in scripture, he is often introduced as the all-powerful God who defends the defenseless. Who cares for the marginalized. Friends, you see how significant that is. That this description, it doesn't express everything that God is about, but in a powerful way, it captures the essence of who he is and what he's about. Friends, why praise the God of justice? It's because the all-powerful God could, in his power, use us and take advantage of us or dismiss us. But instead, in his power, he uniquely draws near to, defends, and cares for those who are the most vulnerable amongst us. Why, praise the Lord? Because this is what he is like. And one of the main ways God exercises this aspect of his justice is through his people that he has called to do justice, to join him in doing justice, which is why in you know, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we're famously told, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But herein lies the problem, right? It's because we have a long way to go before we accurately reflect this aspect of God's justice. It's so common for us to overlook the vulnerable, to ignore the poor. It's common for us to use our time, all of our time, all of our money, all of our resources on ourselves or our families. And sure, right now, many of us are passionately moved to advocate for and defend the rights of the black community, as we should. But will we still be doing so a year from now? See, we need help in becoming people who do justice for all with perseverance. But what will cause us to do that? What will move us to do that? Well, it might sound a little funny, but I believe it's God's justice that has the power to move us to do justice, to live lives of justice. And I say that because of something that Jesus said and something that Jesus did not say in his very first public sermon. All right. So try to follow me here. This is so fascinating. I love this. I heard Tim Keller teach on this once, and it stood with me forever. I want to give him the credit. This was his insight. But, man, it was just, this is so powerful. The, way, the reason that God can move us to do justice is because he's a God of justice. And Jesus highlights this in his very first sermon. When you give your very first sermon, it, it, you don't just talk about anything, right? Like you're going to talk about something that really is going to capture what you're about. And so we're told in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus enters the synagogue in Nazareth, and he stands up and he's handed a scroll, and it's the scroll of Isaiah. And he takes that scroll, 
and he unwinds it and he rolls it out and rolls it out and rolls it out until he comes all the way to Isaiah chapter 61. And then he reads verses one and two, and this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and, to, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, in Jesus' first sermon, he identifies as the Messiah who has come to bring justice. And he does so by reading this passage, except when he read this passage, he left off that last line. You see, after reading, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped. That he leaves off the last part of that sentence, which ends in the day of vengeance of our God. <laughs> you think, why did Jesus do that? Because if you read Isaiah 61, it's very striking. Jesus stops mid-verse, mid-sentence, that he only includes the good news. And that's intriguing because, as I've pointed out, doing justice has two aspects to it. It's, it's lifting up the oppressed and punishing the wicked. But Jesus says, I've come up to lift up the oppressed. But he leaves out punishing the wicked. Why is that? Well, friends, it's because Jesus didn't come to bring the vengeance of our Lord. It's because he had come to bear it. That he didn't come to bring judgment. He had come to bear judgment. The reason he could say, I have come to proclaim freedom for the captives and not say I've come to punish the wicked is because he came to take the punishment that we, the unjust, deserve. And do you know what amazes me about that? This means that God views us as both guilty, deserving of punishment, and he views us as spiritually weak, captives to sin, who are in need of loving care. And so God, the God of justice, acted justly towards us in the most incredible way. He did not turn a blind eye to the wrongs that we have done, but instead, Jesus came and he took the punishment that we deserved by dying for us so that through his death, he could lovingly care for us in meeting our greatest needs. That the spiritually weak and the spiritually poor may be lifted up and be set free. See, friends, in Jesus, both aspects of the justice of God were satisfied in the most lovingly way possible. And when that comes home to your heart, it can change you. It will move you to do justice with God. And here's why. 
It's because when you recognize that God has lovingly cared for you, when you were spiritually poor and needy and unable to save yourself, it will fill you with gratitude towards God and true empathy for others. As Tim Keller says in his book, Generous Justice, to the degree that the gospel shapes your self-image, you will identify with those in need. When you come upon those who are economically poor, you cannot say to them, pull yourself up from, the, from your bootstraps because you certainly did not do that spiritually. Jesus intervened for you. See, friends, when you realize what your condition was apart from Jesus, you'll be able to identify with those in our society who are in need of help. For spiritually speaking, you've been where they are. And so you can say to yourself, hey, spiritually, I was once right where that person is, and God did not harm me, and God did not ignore me, but he lovingly cared for me in the most generous way possible. And so may I act in kind towards him or her, not from a place of pity, not from a place of superiority, but from a place of genuine empathy and gratitude. Friends, may the justice of God move us to praise him for his justice and move us to join him in doing justice. Before I close, you might ask, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, if you, if you need a list, Psalm 146 is a great place to start. May we partner with God to uphold the cause of the oppressed, to give food to the hungry, to set the wrongly imprisoned free, to lift up those who are bowed down, to watch over the foreigner and the strengthen and support the fatherless and the widow. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you now that this is who you are, the God of justice. And God, that you have shown your justice towards us in such incredibly gracious way that Jesus, that you would take our punishment so that we could be set free and have our needs, our greatest needs met in Christ. God, you are just amazing. Lord, move us to praise you and move us to join you in doing justice. God, that we would reflect our God, that this is what you are like, that we would, in our interactions with others and the things that we give our time and the things that we give our money to and, and just, Lord, how we live our lives, that we would be men and women who reflect what our Father is like our incredible just God. Lord, bring your justice to our land. And God, may we be one of the ways that you do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.